Yeah. I saw uh, they slipped in over here in the corner for the service today. So, yeah, it was great, great, great to see them. The D'Amico's, if you didn't hear. All right, Acts chapter 1 and maybe 2. We'll see how things go. Um, we want to say hello to Miss Sharon Townsend. Everybody say a real quick hello, loud. All right, Miss Sharon, I don't know if you heard that, but everybody said hello and uh, we miss you. Hope all is well with you. Uh, the book of Acts, chapter 1. Um, I'm not saying I was doing this only for Freddie, but uh, Freddie came up to me a while back and said, Hey, have you ever done a study on the book of Acts? And he said, Man, I sure would like to do it. And I was thinking my wheels were already turning because I was going to be doing a sermon series on the Holy Spirit. And so I said, Man, that'll fall right in line. That'll... That'll help me out some anyway, and so uh, thank you, Freddie, for the suggestion. Never go wrong studying the Bible, right? <laughs> so uh, Acts chapter 1, uh, we saw last week that in the very first couple of verses, what uh, Luke, we believe, is the writer. He's the recognized writer by most everybody. Um, he is. This is really part two of his letter to a guy named Theophilus. He's mentioned right there in verse 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Theophilus uh, is the same uh, gentleman's name that you find in Luke chapter 1. And uh, I won't read it, but he, uh, he just talks about how he's undertaking Luke, the physician, very detailed guy, gives us a lot of details. Uh, he's real good with that. That's one of the things that distinguishes him between the other writers is Luke is very detailed. Uh, Luke is writing uh, an account, first of all, his own book named Luke uh, to a gentleman by the name of Theophilus, and he calls him most honorable Theophilus. So we don't know as he, um, some have suggested he may have been a governor of some type, but, um, but whoever he is, he is a dignitary because that's a title that would have been given to a, a dignitary in that time, so most honorable Theophilus. So he writes the book of Luke, um, to just help Theophilus, this most excellent Theophilus, to understand um, who Jesus is. And he gives them a lot of details, and he's, he's a very good investigative reporter. I think we said that last week, didn't we? And so in Acts, he, um, he's writing kind of the second part. He keeps writing to this guy, Theophilus, and he says that, um, you know, the... Jesus had given uh, instructions to his disciples to stay in Jerusalem and uh, wait for this promise from the Father. Now, this promise from the Father, Jesus had actually been speaking to his disciples back in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. Lord willing, that will probably be the, uh, the, the scripture that we'll look at next week, next Sunday morning. John 14, 15, 16 uh, is where... You know, I'm hoping to go. And so um, we'll look at that more, and maybe it'll make more sense after that, you know. But, but Jesus has promised his disciples that there is another comforter, another friend, another helper um, that's going to come when he leaves. He's going to leave, but he's going to send another comforter to be with them, another friend uh, to accompany them. And so he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Um he tells them in verse 
4 and 5, this is what you've heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. If we were to go back to Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3 has the baptism of John, I mean uh, Jesus, I'm sorry, the baptism of Jesus, and in uh, verse 11, John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with what? Did y'all catch it? And with fire. All right, so he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so that's what um, Jesus is saying that, you know, John baptized with water, a baptism of repentance. But uh, my baptism will be a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And John says of the Holy Spirit and of fire. So you see a little bit of the insight of the um, of the disciples. He says, you know, they say, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel at this time? They're still thinking politically. They're still thinking earthly kingdom. And uh, Jesus sets them straight, at least uh, for now. He says, you know, it's not the time for you to know the periods and the time that the Father has planned. Uh, but, he says, you will receive power. He's told them to wait, wait in Jerusalem, and you wait, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This other comforter that I've been telling you about, when he comes upon you, uh, you will receive power. And what's the power for? What's, is it to bend bars and break bricks? And, you know, I think about those guys I've seen before that we bring in sometimes to the churches to present the gospel, those guys that do the, all the power lifting and stuff. And uh, that's not the power that Jesus is talking about. He's not sending the Holy Spirit to do a bunch of powerful feats. But the power is for what? For us to be witnesses. Uh, beginning in Jerusalem, he's talking to the disciples, beginning in Jerusalem, and then Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. The book of Acts, I forgot to throw this in real quick. Uh, different ways to look at it. Um, the first, what is it, uh, maybe 12 chapters, if I'm lying, I don't mean to be, deal with Peter, and 13 through 28 deal with Paul. So that's one way to look at the book of Acts. Luke is tracing some of the things that Peter was able to accomplish through the power of the Holy Spirit. Then he looks at uh, the life of Paul under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And then um, another person has said that a good way to look at the book of Acts is um, Jesus goes up in chapter 1, the Holy Spirit comes down in chapter 2, and then the church goes out or goes forth from chapters 3 and following. It's another good way to look at it. And then uh, someone else has pointed out that in Acts Chapters 1 through, help me somebody, uh, I want to say it's 8, you have um, the witness to Jerusalem. 1 to 7? Okay, 1 to 7 is Jerusalem, and then what? Judea and Samaria, verse, chapters 8 and 12, 
And then following 13, that's when you start getting into Paul's missionary journeys where he's going to take the gospel to the world, to the uttermost parts of the world. And so that's another way that we could break down this uh, book of Acts. So as you read that, just keep that in mind. Those are good helps for us to remember. Um, now, last week, we um, I think this is where we were ending. After he said this, after he told them to wait and that you will receive power to be my witnesses, he was taken up right in front of them as they were watching, and a cloud took them took him out of their sight. And while he was going, the disciples were gazing into heaven. I think I'd be gazing too. Where did you go? How did you do that? Uh, but the two men in uh, dazzling white, I think they say, yeah, clothes, uh, say, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into heaven? Maybe they had stood there too long. You know, maybe the angels said, hey, quit standing around, do something, you know. And, um, and so they tell them to... Uh, this same Jesus who has been taken away from you into heaven, he will come back in the same way that you have seen him going, which is probably a reference to the way he's going to come back to us. You know, he's going to come back um, to receive his own. All right. So let's jump in in verse 12 and, uh, and following. So after this happened, after Jesus leaves them, um, and what's funny about Jesus leaving them, I don't know if you... Uh, if you Get if if you find the humor in this, but you know Jesus in Matthew twenty eight says, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. He just told them what I'm with you forever, I'll never leave you. Okay, and then as soon as he says I'm with you, he <laughs> forever, always, I'll never leave you. He he leaves, but yet he's not unfaithful to his promise is he because he knows jesus knows he's sending the holy spirit and uh, that's one of the things i was really trying to emphasize today and we'll we'll keep trying to emphasize it in the weeks to come is that i have come to understand who the holy spirit is it's none other than the person of jesus living inside of you it's jesus the spirit of jesus living inside of you and so that's why jesus is able to say lo i'm not going to ever leave you because he leaves to go to heaven physically but then he sends the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ, spiritually to live in our hearts. And we never miss a beat, and he's with us forever. So he didn't lie to the apostles, even though he jets, you know, in front of them. But, uh, but they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they arrived, they went to a room upstairs, or they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Now... Some people wonder if this is the same room that uh, Jesus had just participated in the Passover. Remember, right before his death, he met in the upper room with his disciples. And what did they do? They celebrated the Passover, and he took the bread, and he broke it. And it was the first Lord's Supper. There are some who uh, emphatically say this is the same room. There are some who say it. We don't know that it's the same room. It's very likely it could be the same room. You know, it's not anything to really argue about, but it's just interesting that it very well could be the same room that they celebrated the Passover, the last supper with Jesus. It could be the same room that they go back to. Um, I'm not going to argue with anybody if you want to disagree, but uh, or if you want to agree, I don't care. <laughs> but uh, very well could be the same room. Then you have this list of who's there. You have Peter, John, 
James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, uh, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. A couple of things. Who are those people? Those are the called disciples by the Lord Jesus. Uh, this is the, someone said this is the fourth time this list is mentioned in the New Testament, and this will be the last time. This will be the last time that we'll see this list mentioned. Um, but what else is significant about this list? There's, what's that? Yeah, there's going to be some women, but, but just the, I'm sorry, just the first list, though, the, of the guys. Is there anything else that you catch? There's only 11. Jesus called 12. We know what happened to the one. But this is, it's just a, uh, it just shows you who's there, who's gone back to this upper room uh, to pray. Uh, well, we're going to see that that's what they're doing. They're praying. Um, but yeah, they, they're missing uh, Judas Iscariot, of course. Now, keep reading. All of these were continually united in prayer. So they go back to the upper room to pray. They're waiting. They don't know when it's going to happen. Have you ever had that happen before? You have to wait for something and you don't know when it's going to happen. That's very hard, isn't it? And so they're waiting. Um, Luke has just told us that Jesus has resurrected and has given uh, many convincing proofs to people um, after his resurrection for a period of 40 days. We have the Passover, and then 50 days later from Passover, you have Pentecost. Okay, You have another feast that the Jews are going to celebrate, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But um, you have the 40 days that he's been convincing uh, them that he's alive and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And about ten days later, you're going to have the, the day of Pentecost. And, um, and so when it says that they were continually united in prayer, you know, chances are they prayed for a period of, you know, I'm just going to say ten days. I could be off, but let's just say close to ten days. They're praying, they're waiting, um, waiting for whatever Jesus is talking about, but they don't fully know what this is going to look like or what it's going to feel like. Now, he does mention some other people that are there, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Okay, so the women, being some of the other women that uh, perhaps were involved in the spices of, you know, the burial preparation for Jesus, uh, some of the other women that followed the Lord Jesus, um, one commentator said that it could have been the wives of these disciples. Uh, some of them married. I'm not sure who and who. I didn't check into all that. But it said it could be some of the wives of the disciples. But did you notice uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, um, one person said that this is the last time that she's mentioned in the New Testament. This is the last time that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is mentioned right here in Acts chapter 1. And then Jesus and his brothers. Y'all do know that Jesus had other siblings, don't you? Look in Mark chapter 6, just for a minute. In Mark chapter 6. And this is where we get the idea that Jesus had other brothers and sisters. 
All right, chapter 6, verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things, they said? What is this wisdom given to him, and how are these miracles performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of um, Mary, and the brother of... And this is where we get the idea that Jesus had other brothers and sisters. Isn't he the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? So there's at least four brothers there that are mentioned. And then aren't his sisters here with us? Now, the very fact that he uses the word sisters means it has to be more than one, right? So it could be two, could be three, could be four. We don't know. But uh, but Joseph and Mary ended up having children, and they if even if we just said two sisters, because it's plural, Jesus would have been a, in a family of how many siblings? He would have been the... Or seven, huh? Six with the two girls, the four boys, Jesus. There would have been seven siblings um, at least. So he may have even had more. That's just interesting, isn't it? To think that Jesus grew up in a home with other siblings. He wasn't, he wasn't the only child, all right? So, um, yeah, but he was always perfect. And so, uh, yeah, I'm sure there was some sibling rivalry there. Um, you know, of the brothers, James will go on to be a church leader. And he's the one that we get the book of James. That's not James, the son of Zebedee. That's James, the brother of Jesus. And then also Jude, uh, the little book of Jude before Revelation, is the brother of Jesus as well. So uh, James and Jude, the two brothers of Jesus. And uh, Cliff, am I missing one on that, or is that the only two that we know of? Do you remember? I think that's it. I think it's James and Jude are the two, uh, the two brothers that, that ended up writing books that we find in our canon of Scripture. Yeah, yeah, he'd have been Jude, I guess, who knows, nickname or not sure there. They do <laughs> a lot more than we do, don't they, Nick? Yeah, that's like today, Joseph, the 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 Levite or from Cypriot, who the disciples called Barnabas which translated means son of encouragement. So it gives you a lot of information there uh, on names. Yeah. Okay. All right. They didn't go to school like we did, huh? All right. During these days, uh, Peter stood up among the brothers. The number of people who were together was about 120. So even though you have the 11 disciples and you have Mary, the mother of Jesus, you have his brothers and sisters, and you have some women, golly, that still doesn't make up the 100. There's a lot of people here, right? A lot of followers of Jesus. They're all in this upper room. This is like a small church service, isn't it? 120 people. um, They're all in the upper room. And Peter says, brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit, uh, through the mouth of David, spoke in advance about Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was one of our number and was allotted a share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages, 
and he fell headfirst and burst in the middle, and all of his insides spilled out. This became known to the residents of Israel so that in their own language that field is called, I'm going to say, Hakadima, Hakodama, Hakodama, I can't remember how you say it. That is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place become desolate, let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position. Now we'll talk about that in just a minute. But just go, uh, so here in the book of Acts, uh, Luke alludes that Judas acquires a field. Where is it? Oh, verse uh, 18. Now, this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. This is the the money that he negotiated so that he could bring the folks to Jesus so that he'd be arrested and face trial and ultimately be crucified. But I want you to turn back to Matthew chapter 27 just for a minute. Matthew 27. Just some little interesting tidbits. Matthew 27, verse 1. When daybreak came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. After tying him up, they led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was full of remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders and says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They say, what is that to us? We don't care that you're repenting. We don't care that uh, you're convicted. They don't understand. See to it yourself. So he threw the silver in the sanctuary and departed. And then he went out and he hanged himself. Yeah. I know. I was thinking the same thing. That's what I'm chasing right now. I'm going to chase this rabbit just for a second. So Acts says Judas acquired a field. Luke says he acquired a field. Um, but we have here, Judas throws the 30 pieces of silver back at the chief priest and uh, says, I don't want it. He's trying to, uh, I mean, he's he's obviously guilty. What's that? Yeah, yeah, keep reading uh, in verse 6. The chief priest took the silver and said, It is unlawful for us to put it back into the temple treasury since it's blood money. So they conferred together and bought the potter's field with it as a burial place for foreigners. Therefore, the field has been called blood field to this day. Um, Then what was spoken through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled they took the 30 pieces of silver the price of him whose price was set by the israelites and gave them the potter's field as the lord directed me so they even believe that was in fulfillment of jeremiah's prophecy uh there but um but basically you know judas throws the money and he goes out and hangs himself and it sounds like then the chief priest confer among each other and say, we really can't put this money back into the treasury, so we'll buy the field and we'll turn it into a burial place. The people of Jerusalem 
that knew about Judas hanging himself and they found, you know, his body in the condition that it was, they they called it the field of blood. And so uh, it was a gory, gory scene. They said that um, hanging, it is possible that he could have hung himself the way, you know, we think of hanging just with a rope and around a tree and it could be that the tree didn't hold him up and it broke and when he fell, that's when his insides, you know, spilled out. But they said that, um, I, I didn't know this, but they said that hanging back in those days, sometimes they would hang themselves over something sharp so that when they fell, uh, that would be the instrument that would really take care of them. So, what's that? Mm-hmm. So, it could be, I mean, no one knows, and, and again, it's not something that we are going to argue about, um, but it could be that Judas fell on something, and that's why his insides spilled out. Or it could be that the branch broke. And... Yeah. Sure. Wow. Yeah, it really doesn't tell us a timeline, so it doesn't say that it was the same day or anything. So you're right. could have been... Uh, that they just left him out there. So that is a possibility. I mean, I think that's just as viable as any other, you know. Okay, we don't know. That's the main thing. But we know that his body eventually fell and uh, burst asunder. So, all right. So, now, here's something that I want to share with you that's uh, fairly interesting. I'm not saying I'm subscribing to it. I'm just saying I have never even thought about it. But um, but from this point on, okay, so you have Peter is speaking to the group and he quotes this, let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position. Okay, so what Peter is about to do is he's saying that we need to replace Judas as one of the twelve. Now, why would... Um, why would they feel this need to replace Judas as one of the twelve? Why do they have to have twelve? Well, look with me in Luke chapter 22 just for a second. Luke chapter 22 and verse... Well, let me just read 24 through 30. Then a dispute also arose among them about who should be considered the greatest... But he said to them, and this is Jesus' words written in red in my Bible, The kings of the Gentiles dominate them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you must become like the youngest, and whoever leads like the one serving. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I am... Among you as the one who serves. You are the ones who stood by me in my trials. I bestow on you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed on me, so that you may, and here's the key words I want you to catch, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So Jesus had even indicated that there would be twelve who would judge the twelve tribes of Israel. So uh, Peter 
is stepping up. He is a leader, even when he leads uh, too quickly. He is a leader. He's the one that says, I'm going fishing, and six or seven people go with him fishing. This same company called last week during the same time. I'm going to tell you about it. So it's a modeling agency in New York, and they tell me something about they want me to model in New York. So crazy. Wow. No, I'm not. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. But I don't know. Uh, I don't know how they got my number. Y'all ever have that? Okay. Huh? Oh, I need to know. You, yeah, you're gonna have to show me later because I'm sick of them calling. All right. So, uh, so anyway, um, he's taking the leadership here, and he's saying we need to replace Judas with someone else. Now, this is what I wanted to share with you, and I I had it on my iPad, so I'm gonna try to go off my memory. But I stumbled across a. Uh, a Expositor's Commentary. It was called the Analytical Expositor's Commentary. Um, I have no idea. It could be. It very well could be. Uh, analytical usually is uh, not so good. It, it could be um, a little bit more on the crit, hot, what do you call it, critical side of things, the Bible. But this guy just, I thought it was an interesting point. I'm glad that I at least read it. Okay, so let me say I don't subscribe to it. But let me just say it just brings up an interesting point. So one thing that he says is that he believes in this choice of, uh, we're going to find out later, it's a guy named Matthias, okay? In this choice of Matthias, in all the other cases of the disciples, who called the disciples? Jesus called the disciples. In this case, Jesus is no longer there. And they're going to do something else to come up with who's the disciple. But later, who's going to call Paul to follow him? Jesus. So this guy is basically making the point, although I think he's in the minority, that it may be that Peter jumped the gun. He says he thinks Peter is taking Scripture out of context, which he said... A lot of preachers do. <laughs> and so he's kind of analytical. He's very analytical. Key word there, analytical expository commentary. And he said that sometimes preachers or teachers will take Scripture out of context. Well, I just happened to look up the two verses. If y'all want to look up with me, you can do it. Uh, one of them is Psalms 69, verse 25. And if you get there... I'll go ahead and read it. Psalms 69, verse 25. Okay, so that... And you would have to go back and read, you know, all of Psalm 69. But I'm telling you, I kind of read a little bit before and a little bit after, and I'm thinking, hmm, <laughs> it doesn't sound like there's anything to, you know, this idea that uh, that it would be Judas necessarily, okay? I'm not saying it's not. I'm not saying that God didn't, you know, inspire and write 
you know, for us in the book of Acts. I'm not. I'm just saying I've never even heard of this, and so I'm just throwing it out there just for fun, really. But you have Psalm 69, verse 25. Then you have Psalms 109, verse 8. Psalms 109, verse 8. Okay. Let his days be few, and let another take his office. So that's that's the same scripture that Peter is referencing in Acts chapter 1 here in the context of we've got to replace someone uh, to be amongst the 12 disciples or apostles um, since Judas has left us. All right, now, one of the guys that I was reading made the point that, you know, James is going to eventually die and they're not going to try to replace James. So why are they replacing Judas? The twelve are going to eventually die. But here, Judas has left his position on his own accord. You see what I mean? There's a difference. And so Peter is uh, taking the lead, and he is uh, proposing this idea that we need to fill the spot that was vacated by Judas because of his poor decision And on what basis, do you remember we looked at a verse a while ago, what basis are they wanting to replace Matthias? Because there's going to be, Jesus said, there's going to be a time where you will sit at my table in my kingdom and you will judge the twelve tribes. So therefore, there must be twelve of you. Okay? Now, keep reading. Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time, The Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. From among these, it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. So what has Peter just laid out for him? The qualifications to replace uh, Judas. It had to be somebody that who or what has been there the whole time. From the time of the baptism, John's baptism of Jesus, the beginning of his ministry, that's the beginning of his earthly ministry, until the time he was taken up from us. Now, they proposed two. Now, does that mean there's only two that fit that qualification, or are these the two that they proposed? We don't know, but they proposed two. One of them is Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice. (laughs) There's the names. Guys, so Joseph, Barsabbas, Justice, and then there was Matthias. Then they prayed, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show us which of these two that you have chosen to take the place in this apostle, apostolic, uh, I can't even say it, apostolic, thank you, service that Judas left to go to his own place. And then look what happens in verse six, uh, 26. Then they cast lots. For them, and the lot fell to Matthias, so that he was numbered with the eleven apostles. All right, this guy also has a problem with the idea of casting lots. That's one of his beefs. He just says, you know, that casting lots is a uh, worldly kind of way to, you know, uh, but, Cliff, I'm going to let you say something, because just in case it's what, go ahead.
Wow. Yeah, well, hey, no, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, you never hear of Matthias anymore. Now, I did search for Matthias, uh, you know how you can Google almost anything now, and there's some, I'm not going to say wacky stuff out there, but there's somebody, it might have been even an early church father that said that Matthias was Zacchaeus, so that you have that floating around, that he was, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And that he is Matthias. But I, I didn't find an overwhelming um, group of guys that thought that. So don't let me plant that seed in your mind that that's what I believe, okay? But uh, but there are some that they wonder who this Matthias is. And uh, some of them say, you know, or one guy said anyway it was Zacchaeus. I don't know that that's true. But, um, okay, but what Cliff's saying. Cliff, try to say that one more time because I want to, I'm, I'm not, I want you to understand I have the utmost respect for Cliff. And this would not be an argument with Cliff. I've just found two other verses that's going to not refute what you're saying, not refute, but I'm going I'm to share those with you in just a second. Say what you said just now, because it was good, and I want to hear it one more time. Can you say it again? <laughs> well, no, you went to 1 Corinthians 9. Wait, read that again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. And that's what I've got. I've got two other places. Okay. First Corinthians nine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that he had been called by Jesus Christ. Okay. Now here's again, please understand me. I'm not trying to refute my brother and my friend. Here's two scriptures that I found clip that I'm gonna to read to us. Um so in first Corinthians fifteen, Paul writes in verse nine. For I am the least of the apostles, so he does say he's one of the apostles, I'm the least unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by God's grace, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not ineffective. However, I worked more than any of them, yet not I, but God's grace that was with me. Therefore, whether it is I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have believed." So I don't know that that refutes what Cliff is saying, but it just throws in there. He does see himself as one of the apostles. Okay, look in Galatians 1. Galatians 1. Okay, and this is what some guys will say. Galatians 1, 15. But when God, who from my birth set me apart and called me by His grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem uh, to those who had become apostles before me. Wow, that's sounding kind of like he's an apostle too. Apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Okay, so here's the point, and I'm going to try to wrap up. You have this analytical expository commentary guy basically saying, I think he's trying to defend that Paul is the twelfth of the apostles. Saying that Jesus 
ended up calling Paul unlike Matthias not getting a direct call from Jesus, but still, you know, Peter said it needed to be one of the guys that had been with us from the beginning to the end. And, and, uh, and, and Peter, um, they, there were times where people cast lots. One is in Joshua 18, verse 10, I believe. And they're dividing up, Joshua's dividing up the land uh, among the tribes of Israel. And that was one time that they cast lots. Jonah, remember Jonah one time uh, trying to go the opposite direction, and I forget the whole story, but y'all know what I'm talking about. They, yeah, yeah, the unbelievers cast lots. That's a good point too, Liz. And yet, and yet, God used it. And so there are some that believe that even through the casting of lots, there was this belief that God would trump anything else, and that his person or his will would prevail even in the casting of, of lots. But then there's some people that say, well, if that's so, then why don't we do that today? Why not in our business meetings are we rolling dice and, <laughs> and casting lots? And, uh, and so I don't know what to say to that. But, uh, but anyway, I had never thought about that. Had y'all ever thought about that before, the, the two scenarios? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Just the fact that, you know, it's Matthias or Paul. I wonder, Cliff brings a really, really great point. When we get to heaven one day and we see the 12 um, tribes or the 12 thrones, are we going to see Matthias there or are we going to see the Apostle Paul? You know, probably for our lives it really doesn't matter, does it? But, uh, but the Apostle Paul, he definitely felt called by God. If he's not one of the 12 it's very clear that you understand what Paul was saying. I am an apostle to the Gentiles. He is definitely an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, whether he's in the twelve and Matthias isn't, or whether Matthias isn't, you know, uh, we'll leave that for we'll we'll find out one day. That can be one of your questions that you ask God one day if that if you if, if you even think about that. 
it won't matter, will it? So, yeah. But I had, I had just, the reason I bring it up, I had just never thought about it before. I wanted to throw that out there just for fun tonight, okay? So, all right. Well, um, we need the Holy Spirit. I hope that you'll join with me. I'm telling you, ever since the day that those words jumped off the pages in my heart, the Spirit of the Lord took control of David from that day forward. I don't know what happened to me that day. I'm not saying I'm perfect and I've, I've arrived. But I'm just telling you, I've found um, just new life, new um, vitality in the Lord. And I keep repeating that phrase over and over again. I don't think it's magical. I'm not saying that. But just as a reminder to me, the Spirit of the Lord took control of David from that day forward. That's what I want in my life, is for you to take control, Lord, uh, of my life from this day forward. And so uh, I just ask you to join with me and uh, hope that God will use it in your life like he's been doing in mine. But uh, the Spirit of the Lord took control of David from that day forward. Amen? All right, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the night. Thank you for these who have come. We pray that, uh, God, you'll just be blessed. Um, and, and, Lord, that we'll praise you not only with our lips as we sing songs to you, but also with our lives as we go out of here tonight and we live this week in the world. We pray that, Father, people will hear about and see Jesus in us and through us and uh, that we'll be faithful to lift you up. Holy Spirit of God, take control of our lives. Move us and make us and melt us and mold us. And all the things that we sang this morning. Father, you take control. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.